from the Alaska Airline Studio. Presented by 2020lifestyles.com. This is the Blitz. The first look at the top stories in Seattle sports. They don't make them like good. We're not like everybody else. The rundown on everything Seattle sports on your way to work. Swing and a fly ball. Deep right center field. He did it again. And the stories everyone is talking about. This is the Blitz at 6. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Blitz at 6. Lydia Cruz alongside with you Thursday, May 7th. We've all been wishing for a return for sports. Major League Baseball expecting to offer a return to play proposal within a week. That has to be approved still by ownership by the MLB Players Association. So how far are these two sides on that side of that argument. We'll, we'll explain. We'll dig into some sound from ESPN's Jeff Passan, who had a great article about it online. Also here from Buster, only on the plan. And today is the day NFL has decided to release their schedules. There's a lot of contingencies uh, in place, obviously, for things to proceed as they have it planned. But why now? And also Roger Goodell sending a memo out for protocols for reopening team facilities. So we'll discuss those. It's all ahead in this hour. Right now, let's get to your headlines. Major League Baseball expecting to offer their proposal to return to play to the MLB Players Association within one week. This is according to ESPN's Jeff Passan. Teams have also started to encourage players to prepare for spring training of sorts, probably an abbreviated one that would begin in mid-June and a season that could begin in early July. General managers and managers from at least a dozen teams, according to Passon, have reached out to players to suggest that they ramp up baseball activities. Some teams have suggested that players prepare for a spring training that could begin as early as June 10th, a season that could begin July 1st. Other teams are being more general, a little more pessimistic maybe in their prognostications. But here was Jeff Passan discussing the timeline for a possible return. We're on the path to some good news potentially. Now, This being the time it is, of course, everything comes with the caveat, but there are teams right now, the Cleveland Indians yesterday among them, that have been telling players, get ready. Now, it's not get ready with a specific date in mind. You know, June 10th has been mentioned for the beginning of spring training. That's probably the earliest. July 1st has been mentioned as a day for opening day, potentially. That's probably the earliest it could happen. But the expectation, L, around baseball right now is that Major League Baseball is going to be coming to the Players Association with a plan in the coming days to a week plus or so. And during that time, we're going to get a much better sense of when baseball could actually restart in the United States. Uh, The possibility of holding these spring trainings at teams' home stadiums has been suggested and received well by some after, of course, entertaining the ideas of quarantining players in Arizona, Florida, using three five-city to five-city hubs to hold games maybe uh, just dividing into divisions and keeping players on the West Coast, East Coast, or in the Central Division uh, to hold games. There, That was originally suggested, but now these suggestions of playing at home stadiums have uh, become more popular. Still, of course, significant concerns if a possible coronavirus breakout happens in a team's city, as well as the risk, added risk of teams traveling. 
but playing in home stadiums still more appealing to many than the idea of building these hubs or these biospheres in certain cities, all the logistical concerns that would follow and that would require. The players union might also be more keen on the idea that Uh, players can spend half their games at home with their families because that is a major concern for all athletes and all people right now. But there's still some major financial sticking points when it comes to this deal. There's, of course, a lack of revenue at at the disposal for owners and the prospect of playing in front of no fans and no ticket sales also looming. So owners have pushed the league to ask players to take a pay cut in an agreement between the league and the union players agree to be paid a prorated portion of their salaries based on games played, which the MLBPA is arguing covers any lessening of salaries that players should take. Buster Olney was on Golik and Wingo this morning talking about compensation for the players being a big sticking point. What has to happen now is is that they need to have some sort of a detente with the Players Association over the compensation. I think that's going to be the big thing. And I wrote a column two weeks ago that really what I would hope would happen is the two sides basically say, look, we let's agree with this. No matter what our differences are, we are not going to allow the opportunity, if we get it, to be able to play some sort of games to reopen the business in some sort of capacity And right now, there is not that assuredness if they get the opportunity. Multiple players have also spoken out to the union and expressed their concern, asking what would happen if they opted not to play in 2020 because of fear for their health or safety or their family's safety and wanting to stay with them during the pandemic. What happens if they come back and a, ta- and a player tests positive? Buster only on if players feel comfortable at this point coming back. Right now, um, they're, they're not close. Um, they're closer to being entrenched in their respective positions than they are to an agreement. Uh, there is an expectation that Major League Baseball is going to ask the players for salary rollbacks. Uh, the first volleys that we've seen from Tony Clark, head of the Player Association, Scott Boris, uh, super agent are that 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 they d- don't want to do that, um, and it is a huge issue that they have to work through. Uh, I think uh, that the team's perspective is going to be: look, the the revenue spigot has been shut down, and we're ne- going to need to make adjustments. We're talking about laying people off, and the players' perspective is: we haven't been taking salaries, and when we move forward, we we expect to you know the the contracts to be honored. That is a really difficult uh, hurdle for them to overcome. That was Buster actually on how these two parties stand as of now, how close to an agreement they are. Multiple executives have also suggested, uh, we've heard some theories about how the game will look when it returns, that as many as 50 players will be available for teams to use. They'll have active rosters of up to 30 players each game. The length of the season, if it potentially starts in July, could be from 80 to 100 games. Multiple officials and players have also expressed reservation about negotiating an agreement as the country reopens, because as we know very well, uh, what we think will happen in a week or two weeks or a month uh, can be entirely different than what actually plays out. And who knows, the climate for the game to return might not be the same 
when June does come around. So that's part of the reason and the motivation that both parties want to commence the negotiation process soon and why this will happen within a week. MLB needs approval from owners and players to start a season, but officials from the White House, top health officials will also be consulted for their approval. And Jeff Passan mentioning that yesterday, yes, baseball needs more than just the MLB PA approval to return. In order for baseball to come back, it also needs the backing of the federal government all the way up to the White House, as well as the backing of health experts and officials whose gravitas and authority is going to really lend credence to this plan because we have to understand the environment in which baseball would be coming back. The coronavirus is still here and we still have no idea where it's going. Also, MLB in in contact with federal and state officials seeking guidance as it moves towards their plan of a new opening day. Of course, anything likely to include contingency plans as of now. We also know that it's not just affecting the season itself, but potentially baseball in the future. Scouting directors are being told uh, and still waiting for an official word on it. But according to Jeff Passan, that the MLB draft in June could be five rounds instead of the the usual 40. And we know that uh, many teams have guaranteed employees pay through the end of May, but delaying baseball beyond July could also mean more furloughs, more layoffs. Scott Boris, MLB super agent who had himself quite a year, but uh, talked about hesitations that he has heard from players. I think we have to set up models as we do in, in medicine, and that is you can certainly head to spring training. And I think players that I've certainly that I represent have all said they're willing to look at this for 30 days and be isolated and phase in spring training with, say, pitchers and catchers first. I think one of the things we have to consider, though, is that we need to do this. We need to have a little longer spring training because the players have been isolated. This is a very unique setting that they've been in for the last 50 days. And we need a little more conditioning time. We need more time to before we get to the skill part of the game than we have in the past. So it's a very different process. But I think one thing that's clear is that we have involved the people. They're going to have doctors there. They're going to have their trainers there. The isolation aspect, I think the players are willing to do to really take every precaution as we test before they go, test when they arrive, and really create an environment that we can, after a 30-day or so period, let everyone know that this group is healthy. Up next on the Blitz, the NFL, they have released a set of protocols for reopening team facilities that coincides with the release of the schedule that is set to come later today. What do those step-by-step protocols entail? It's next right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. From the Alaska Airlines studio, this is the Blitz. Welcome back to the Blitz at Six City Cruise alongside with you Thursday, May 7th. The NFL is set to release its full 17-game schedule tonight, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific, a three-hour special going to air on NFL Network that will discuss all of the games, the key matchups, the primetime games um, as well, but also 2020 schedule will not include international games because of concerns over the coronavirus pandemic. 
We heard that earlier this week. Those games, two at Wembley Stadium that were going to be hosted by the Jacksonville Jaguars, basically just the London Jaguars, two at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium to be hosted by the Atlanta Falcons and Miami Dolphins, and then plus one at Estadio Azteca in Mexico City to be hosted by the Arizona Cardinals. Those will all be played domestically at U.S. stadiums instead. We did hear officially from the league spokesperson, Brian McCarthy, that the full 17-game schedule will be released, including a September 10th opener and the Super Bowl on February 7th. The league has evaluated, of course, contingency, pl- contingency plans should the uh, the pandemic intensify and make uh, room or change their plans. Jeremy Fowler, uh, ESPN, talked about the NFL schedule will build flexibility into it expect the NFL schedule to have an escape hatch somewhere. Now, they've been planning for all contingencies. I continue to hear the league is optimistic that they will have a full season. So September 10th opener, February 7th Super Bowl, and visions of fans in the stands. But if things really intensify, I'm told things could be like a sliding scale. You can keep the integrity of the schedule when it comes out tomorrow night, but you move things back maybe two weeks, a month, maybe eliminate some of the bye weeks to pass some of that time. And I do know the league, in the last few years, has made an emphasis on playing divisional games later in the year. So I do expect that to happen. That could be a byproduct of seeing some uh, some cross AFC NFC games earlier in the season. Uh, Jeremy Fowler also speaking on. Uh, oh, no, that wasn't Jeremy Fowler. That was just Saturday. Never mind. We'll get to that in just a minute. But the NFL also released a set of protocols for reopening team facilities that has told the 32 teams to have them in place by May 15th. This was a memo sent out by Commissioner Roger Goodell to teams this week, a copy of which was obtained by the Associated Press. In it, Goodell lays out, addresses several phases of protocols that they will roll out. The first phase involves a limited number of non-player personnel that will be allowed back in the facilities. Initially, 50% of the non-player employees up to a total of 75 on any single day would be approved to be at these facilities. But state or local regulations could require that to be a local number, depending on what these stay-at-home, shelter-in-place orders are in these individual places. Uh, Clubs would also decide which employees could return to the facility and when once facilities reopen. No players would be permitted in the facility except to continue therapy and rehabilitation for injuries that were underway when facilities were initially ordered closed in late March. Goodell also noted the league is working on the next phase of reopening, which will involve more staffers and players. He said the players union is an active participant in being consulted on those steps and those protocols are not fully developed. The NFL's medical director, Dr. Alan Sills, though, will speak with each team and each team physician and the infection control officer to discuss implementation, medical aspects of the protocols. Some of the step-by-step requirements that we know are included, well, local and state government officials must consent to reopening. The team has to implement all operational guidelines set by the league to minimize the risk of virus transmission among employees. Each club has to acquire adequate amounts of needed supplies. An infection response team with a written plan for a newly diagnosed coronavirus cases, uh, an infection control officer to oversee all aspects of the implementation of the listed guidelines. Those are just some of them. You can read the entire thing online. I believe ESPN has an article up about it. 
Jeff Saturday, as I mentioned, incorrectly Jeremy Fowler, but talking about how NFL teams should all have to reopen at the same time. If you get an advantage, and, and you and I, you and I have been in those locker rooms, we will we will take every advantage known to man in the NFL. I do think it would put an unfair advantage on on teams. And the other part is it's not like all these guys live in the same city. So, you know, guys traveling from wherever to live wherever to play wherever, all of those different things. I, I do like the fact that it's kind of an all or none for the NFL. It does it to me, it makes it feel um like there's more solidarity that the league has has more of a of a of a of an input into what each team is doing. So I actually appreciate it that way. Jeff Saturday also on transparency being a key in getting things up and running again. Communication is going to be huge here between uh, the league and players and making sure everybody's comfort level is where it needs to be. Uh, I think they've done a really good job to this point. Um, I know people felt like it was, you know, Goodell was kind of pushing this thing forward, even with the draft and offseason, the whole, the whole deal. Um, but he is right in the fact that their job is to make sure that they are ready to play if possible. Um, I think he, you know, if you, if you read the memo that, that he put out, I think it was yesterday or a couple of days ago now, um, you know, just about the protocols of what it's going to be. It's just going back and forth and making sure players understand, hey, here's what's going to be required. Here's what's going to be expected. Here's what's going to be provided for you to make sure we are keeping you safe. You know, we always talk about it in the NFL about player health and safety being the number one uh, priority. And so making sure that that does happen. Again, schedules released, the full schedule released at 8 p.m. Eastern tonight, 5 p.m. Pacific. And you can keep it right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. I believe Bob David Moore will be taking you through the Seahawks entire schedule, including uh, any possible primetime games or just rivalry matchups that you want to be tuned into up next on the blitz some news on Jadevian Clowney this week we heard him speak I think for the first time in offseason through the free agency process now what are the odds that he could end up back here in Seattle there's uh, a little bit more pessimistic of a take I'll explain it's next right here on 710 ESPN Seattle you're listening to the blitz from the Alaska Airlines Studio. Welcome back to the Blitz at Six. Lydia Cruz alongside with you Thursday, May 7th. If you've been following along on Jadevian Clowney Watch 2020 and where the free agent stands in signing with potential teams, including the Seahawks, then you might have seen this headline yesterday by ESPN's Brady Henderson. Reunion between Jadevian Clowney, comma, Seahawks, not likely. So, Depending on where you stand on wanting Clowney, Clowney back and at what cost, that that headline might have uh, hit you hard. He joined Tom, Jake, and Stacey yesterday to chat about that headline and why he views it as more uh, a long shot for Clowney to end up back in Seattle. This is straight from Brady's Twitter account. He says, on Genevian Clowney, my understanding is he would have to take significantly less money than what the Seahawks previously offered him in order for a reunion to happen. The team hasn't shut the door entirely on Clowney, but bringing him back isn't considered likely at this point. So let's start with the middle part of that there, uh, Brady. Why would he have to take significantly less money than what the Seahawks had previously offered him? Well, because they have basically 
moved on and not moved on entirely, but moved on to a point where, um, you know, they basically started signing other players with the money that they would have paid or could have paid Clowney. And, you know, they have basically said, um, you know, said as much, um, you know, right after they signed Benson Mayoa, um, you know, that was kind of when they started saying, look, you know, publicly saying, look, you know, they had to move on. You know, they could not keep waiting on Clowney at the risk of losing out on other deals. Uh, and my understanding is they reached that point. They determined that point, uh, that they were at that point right before they, uh, you know, they gave Mayoa that one-year $3.05 million deal. And so um, I think another thing that, that I think people will have to realize in, is that play here is that, you know, they don't have as much money to spend as is generally assumed. You know, when you look at uh, overthecap.com, which does a great job of keeping track of contracts and teams' uh, salary cap space, I think they list them at $21 million. But, um, you know, that does not count a Bruce service deal. It doesn't count other cash and cap expenses uh, that are limiting their spending power. So it's not true that, you know, when you see that number, $21 million, that's, that's not true that they have $21 million to spend on GW and Clowney. Um, I still think that it's, it's possible uh, that he comes back, but, you know, based, you know, as I said in the tweet there, based on my understanding is that would have to be significantly less uh, than what they offered him the last time. Okay, so just to be clear, the signings of Benson Mayoa, Bruce Irvin, those specifically have prevented them from being able to sign Jadevian Clowney at the original number that the Seahawks offered him. Yeah, and I think there's also you know a gap between what they've offered him and what he's still looking for. You know, the numbers that I heard um, at the outset of free agency that he was looking for was $21 million. Uh, one of my colleagues, Diana Rossini, has reported that he has since dropped that asking price to 17 to $18 million in that range. Uh, and I don't know what the Seahawks offered him, but um, I, you know, I think that part of it is a, it's, it's, you know, they they don't feel like they have that money to pay him, and there's still a gap uh, to where even if they had a few more million dollars, maybe there is still a gap there between uh, what they could pay him and what he what he is still seeking, and so. Um, it's, I guess what I would, what I would remind people of is, um, you know, the, the money that, you know, that over the cap says that they have, that, that doesn't necessarily mean they have all that money to throw at Clowney. And, and a part of that is that they have, you know, they reached a point where they said, you know, they've got to move on to other deals at the risk of, you know, they couldn't wait on Clowney at the risk of losing out on those other deals. And one of those was Benson Mayoa. That was ESPN's Brady Henderson full interview at 710sports.com for you. Also yesterday, the subject of clowning continuing on Bob Dave and Moore. Uh, Paul Moyer, the great. Uh, he, you can hear him on Seahawks broadcasts and gracing our airwaves every once in a while as well. But chatting about clowny and alternate options to him. I kind of think maybe we're not looking at him the right way. He should be maybe valued like a really good defensive tackle that's not going to get big sack totals, but he's going to be disruptive in the run game and everything. The other thing I see is that you look at like Matthew Judon and some of these good pass rushers you already broke down in Gakwe. You got a lot of pressure coming off the other side. You know, and that's the one thing that he did not get. Now, we know he doesn't have good, you know, he, he obviously played opposite of J.J. Watt and still didn't get double digits, but thought that that had a lot to do with it when you looked at uh, the Seahawks pass rush last year. Well, I agree. I mean, if you go and look at his last two years at Houston, he had nine sacks and nine and a half sacks. So he, he has the ability to get there. Um, I, I think a lot of the Seahawks scheme didn't help him either. I mean, we, we play that soft zone the ball comes out quickly 
you know, until we get, you know, down to the 20-yard line and, and things tighten up. So I don't think our pass rush helps him, helped him statistically either. Um, it, he's just a tough one I, it, because, as you said, is he a good football player? You guys have heard me say it a million times. He's a fantastic football player, but they pay for sacks. And I, I don't know if he's – I don't think he's ever going to be a 12-sack guy. I think he has a chance to get double digits at some point. And like I said, Dave, he had some help on the other side. I think also he, so much of what he does, he comes from the two-point stance. And he's just not a pure technician, speed, edge rusher. He's a, he's a wiggle guy. He, he, he gets by with athleticism. He gets it with hustle. A lot of his stuff is inside moves and even stunting inside. You know, if you get some push, you know, up the middle and create those lanes, he, he can create havoc. But, you know, I, he's not a guy who's going to get to the quarterback in two seconds every time. They're very rare, and the ones that do make $20 million a year. Hey, Paul, well, let's say they don't get Clowney and then they go to plan B, which is Everson Griffin, Michael Bennett, Clay Matthews, Marcus Golden, one of those guys that's still available in free agency. Or do you think it sounds like from their comments, I mean, do you feel like they're good to go as is? Well, I think they're counting on on just youth and, and guys getting better, Jim. You know, I, I watched Everson Griffin. I watched a couple of his games. And I think I'm, I'm watching him against the Cowboys right now. He's he's a good pass rusher, but his 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 pass rushing ability comes from experience. He's got a nice spin move, but he's not quick. I mean, he's he's a decent run defender, um, but he's not that guy where you go, whew, we we got to account for him. You know, he could be a problem at times, and you know, I think he had eight sacks last year, and he's got over seventy in his career. So you're you're buying a guy who's thirty two years old that you know, can probably get you some productivity, get you some numbers there. Um, I just, it's it just, again, at what cost? You're now not as athletic and young as you, you were. I think you just have to count on some of these guys making a, a step and, and let some athleticism, you know, take over. But I would not mind having Everson Griffin, I, just to bring that with one back. The one thing he does is when he says, I'm going after the quarterback, He's going to give his best moves, and he's going to win every once in a while. And, you know, those, those are nice guys to have, too. So, Paul, if you had your choice between Clowney, Griffin, Matthews, Ngakwe, any of these guys we've mentioned, which guy do you want on this team? Well, Ngakwe would be nice. Uh, I just think that's just too expensive. Um, he, to me, with the money that he wants down the road, you, you're renting him for a year. Um, I, I just, he's, to me, he's not going to be a, 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 he's not a $20 million player either. Not in my, my book. Um, I, I'd probably take Everson Griffin. Actually, I wouldn't mind having Bennett. I, again, I, I had the privilege here of, of watching, again, the Cowboys in, uh, in Minnesota, and Bennett happened to be on the Cowboys during this game. He's still got a little wiggle. So if you're looking for somebody that's just going to be, you know, a, a role player during uh, certain pass rush situations, Everson Griffin, Bennett, but if you're going to give me a guy who's going to be on the field, you know, for 60 plays a game, uh, then then I'm taking Clowney. I, I just think he's just too good of a football player. We can find guys to hopefully, you know, by committee uh, get to the pass rush or get to the quarterback. So I I guess long-winded answer here for you. It depends on the money. Depends on what role. Um, I, I'd take Clowney if if I had the choice. 
Always love hearing from Paul Moyer yesterday on Bob, Dave, and more. That full interview also available on the podcast tab. Just click on it at 710sports.com. Up next on The Blitz, it's time for the hot list. We've got news about the MLB and the Players Association coming to terms or trying to come to terms on a proposal to return to baseball, but a lot of hurdles still to conquer there. Also, how did George Carl uh, coach against Michael Jordan? And did Gary Payton ever, ever manage to slow him down? It's next in the hot list right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. From the Alaska Airlines studio, this is The Blitz. It's time for The Hot List. Holy mackerel! The headlines for the day in sports every morning at 645. Heck yes! What are we missing here? A full breakdown of the top stories of today on your morning drive. Let's go! Last break, we heard a lot about Jadevian Clowney, different perspectives on him, and Jeremy Fowler of ESPN also on Clowney remaining steadfast that a payday is coming for him. Well, his plan is to continue to chill and wait to sign because multiple teams have tried to sign him. The Cleveland Browns thought they had a deal about a month ago. Seattle Seahawks tried multiple times. Tennessee Titans. It's my understanding that Clowney had a huge number. These teams were not willing to hit it. They didn't consider him a top five type pass rusher right now. But Clowney had that core muscle surgery earlier in the offseason, so he figures let's wait a little bit, get completely healthy, and then when I can go in a team facility and visit, they can see how healthy I am and see that I'm the freak athlete I've always been and then everything will be good and the money will be there that's at least one option I'm hearing Clowney has considered stay patient through all this and stick to the plan Hall of Famer Charles Barkley admitted uh, this week that he's still upset about his longtime friendship with Michael Jordan ending deteriorating because of comments Barkley made about the way Jordan ran the once Charlotte Bobcats franchise but Charles Barkley admitting that that makes him sad more sad than anything, uh, really, really sad, because the guy was like a brother to me for for 20-some years, at least 20-some years. And and I do, I feel sadness, but like I say, to me, he's still the greatest basketball player ever. I wish him nothing but the best, but uh, hey, nothing I can do about it, brother. Uh, Barkley, who's been a guest on Waddle and Sylvie many times, was on the show this week and actually where he originally made his comments uh, on more than eight years ago. Barkley admitting the relationship has been fractured ever since and uh, honesty leading to that rift. The thing that bothered me the most about that whole thing, I don't think that I said anything that bad. No. I'm pretty sure I said, hey, as much as I love Michael, until he stopped hiring them kiss asses and his best friends, he's never going to be successful uh, as a general manager. And I remember, I'm pretty much verbatim I said that. And the thing that's really pissed me off about it later is Phil Jackson said the exact same thing. And I'm like, no, nah, man, if you're going to be, because, listen, when you're famous, and Michael at one point was the most famous person in the world, everybody around you is either on the payroll or letting you buy drinks and dinner and flying around on your private jet. Very few of your friends are going to be honest with you. And that's very hard uh, for any celebrity, but especially somebody of his stature. But I thought that was one of the reasons we were great friends. He's like, I can ask Charles anything, and I know he's going to give me a straight answer. But part of my job is, because I can't go on TV and say, 
another general manager of sucks. And then just because Michael's like a brother to me, say he's doing a fantastic job. That would be disingenuous. Barkley's saying, though, it still uh, upsets him and he would be open to, you know, rekindling that friendship. It's just it's the balls in MJ's court, so to speak. Speaking of Jordan, this was cool. George Carl interviewed by Colin Cowherd this week talking about the 1996 finals and going up against Jordan and the Bulls there. Uh, what was the Sonics' defensive game plan against them in the 96 Finals? So go back to the 96 Finals, and you had a very good Sonics team. You also had a very good defensive guard in Gary Payton. And my, my recollection's fuzzy. What was your defensive game plan against Michael Jordan? Well, initially, we, we put Hershey Hawkins on him, and we uh, kind of split the responsibilities between Hershey and Detlef and Gary. Gary had a little bit of a, a calf problem. And we wanted to save Gary for the fourth quarter. But Michael's a guy that you got to figure out when and how you want to double team or if you want to double team him. Um, our problem in, in, in 96, he was more of a jump shooter than a, a rim attacker. And uh, so we actually started, I think, most of the games not doubling him and keeping our double team packages ready for, for the fourth quarter or a close game situation. But, I mean, he's, 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 he's just one of those five players in basketball that if he gets 25 points and shoots a, a low percentage, you're just celebrating. <laughs> you know, you're, not, you're, you're, you're never going to stop him. And he just touches the ball too much. He's too talented. He has all, all the offensive tools. He can score inside. He can score outside. You know, we didn't think he was a great three-point shooter, but he made enough that you had to honor it. Yeah. George Carl also asked by Cowherd if there were moments when GP could slow MJ down. Gary Payton uh, was considered the glove and was a very good defensive player. Were there ever moments that when Gary was healthy, you thought he could at least slightly slow Michael? I would say slightly slow him would be what, as far as I would go and maybe a little bit more. Uh, I've just I've never covered a guy that played a could put a big number up on you and do it efficiently. You know, a lot of times when guys get 40 or 50, they shoot 35 or 40 shots. Michael would get 40 shooting 21 shots. And it was just so, it was so efficient and so intimidating that, you know, and then if you would double team, they had enough weapons, offensive weapons, to, to beat you with you know other guys on on their team, especially when Pippen became more of a a superstar of, of all, and his offense was really first class. But the, you know the '96 series was a defensive series. Yes. I mean, in fact, I think I think a lot of these series that you're watching, if you look back, they're very defensive minded. Very few hundred point games. I think we had the Phoenix series in yes in, in the episode yesterday. They had a 129 to 120-point game, but that was the exception back then. Um, I think in the, our, our series uh, against them, we scored 100 one time. I think they scored 100 one time, and we had a couple scores in the low 80s. And uh, they were just – I think that the greatness of that team was their defense. Yeah. And, and Michael was a special offensive player, but the other guys, you know, you, you had some luxuries, and – Food coach, I think, helped them when he, he got into the rhythm and flow at the end of, at the end of Michael's run. 
I think that helped them because then they had three weapons out there. Uh, but I, I think their, their specialness is because of their defense. It's just nice to hear about the Sonics, man. Bring them back, please. Hopefully we'll be talking about basketball here in the next five years or so. Um, fingers crossed. Um, also this week, Andy Dalton, newest Cowboys QB member. He spoke with the media, talked about his position, and a lot of people assuming he might go somewhere with a better chance at starting, but uh, instead ending up in Texas, a place that he's very familiar with and doesn't have to move his family, which is huge amid coronavirus concerns. But Andy Dalton talking about how he knows Dak Prescott is the starter here. I think that uh, a lot of everybody else, I know the situation I'm going into, Dak is, has played really well, and you know I, I knew the situation that I'm coming into. I think because I've been a starter in this league, I've, I've won a lot of games and put some really good seasons together. Uh, you know, I think that's just everybody on the outside is going to view it that way. You know, Dak's a starter on this team, and I'm here if for some reason, if anything were to happen for him to go down, I'm going to be able to step in and uh, do everything I can to help this team win. Major League Baseball expects to offer a return-to-play proposal to the MLB Players Association within a week, uh, according to ESPN's Jeff Passan. Teams have begun to encourage players to prep for a spring training of sorts that would begin in mid-June and a season that could potentially start in early July. GMs and managers from at least a dozen teams have reached out to players to suggest uh, ramping up baseball activities and conditioning. Some teams have suggested that players prepare for a spring training that would begin as early as June 10th and a season that would begin July 1st, while other teams are being more general in their recommendations. And here is Jeff Passan on the timeline. We're on the path to some good news, potentially. Now, this being the time it is, of course, everything comes with the caveat. But there are teams right now, the Cleveland Indians yesterday, among them, that have been telling players get ready. Now, it's not get ready with a specific date in mind. You know, June 10th has been mentioned for the beginning of spring training. That's probably the earliest. July 1st has been mentioned as a day for opening day, potentially. That's probably the earliest it could happen. But the expectation, L, around baseball right now is that Major League Baseball is going to be coming to the Players Association with a plan in the coming days to a week plus or so. And during that time, we're going to get a much better sense of when baseball could actually restart in the United States. There's the possibility of holding spring training at teams' home stadiums. That's been suggested. Um, more appealing, reportedly, to many than the idea of building biospheres of sorts or hubs in certain cities and all the logistical concerns that would go into that, as well as asking players to be separated from their families for an extended period of time and living in relative isolation. Players might be more keen on a plan that allows them to spend half their games at home with their families. But there's also some major financial sticking points between the two sides. Uh, without the stream of revenue at their disposal, the idea of playing in front of no fans also, meaning no ticket sales, owners have pushed the league to ask players to take a pay cut. In an agreement already reached between the league and the union, players agreed to be paid a prorated portion of their salaries based on games played, which the MLB PA argues covers any lessening, any pay cut uh, that players should take already been covered. Buster only on compensation being a big sticking point. So what has to happen now is is that they need to have 
some sort of, of a detente with the Players Association over the compensation. I think that's going to be the big thing. And I wrote a column two weeks ago that really uh, what I would hope would happen is the two sides basically say, look, we let's agree with this. No matter what our differences are, we are not going to allow the opportunity, if we get it, to be able to play some sort of games to reopen the business in some sort of capacity. And right now, there is not that assuredness if they get the opportunity. MLB needs approval from owners and players to start a season, but officials from the White House, top health officials, also expected to weigh in and be consulted for their approval before things are able to move forward. NBA Commissioner Adam Silver and the National Basketball Players Association Executive Director, they're hosting a call for all players today. And it's the same day the league has allowed teams to reopen practice facilities for voluntary, socially distant workouts in areas where it is permitted by local public official, officials and local government. The call, though, is intended to open things up for players to address any concerns, ask any questions that they have. Three teams, the Trailblazers, the Nuggets, and the Cavaliers, have already told uh, and been vocal that they plan to reopen today, while several other teams said they hope to open next week. The Houston Rockets had planned to open their facility today, but uh, in collaboration with the players and staff, as well as the Texas governor, uh, gyms are not allowed to open until May 18th. And then also the Lakers, the Dallas Mavericks, Mark Cuban has been vocal that the team's inability to test asymptomatic players for the virus makes a return to facilities right now not worthwhile. So still a lot of varying opinions on that. Also today, the NFL schedule will officially be released. So keep that in mind. We'll maybe be uh, hearing some rumors surrounding that, but never know how many are exactly accurate on Twitter. We'll get the full schedule at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific time. NFL Network going to reveal it and putting on a three-hour special to take you through the whole thing. But if you really want the Seahawks-specific breakdown, game by game, the potential primetime games, everything, uh, keep it right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. Bob, Dave, and Moore going to help you out with that when it is revealed. That's a wrap for the hot list and the entire Blitz at 6 Hour. Everybody stay safe out there. We're all thinking of you. We got this, Seattle. Danny and Gallant next, right here on 710 ESPN Seattle.